The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator for you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. For those of you who wonder why I'm sitting, it's very simple. It's painful to stand. I had a muscle tear in my leg a couple of weeks ago, and it's kind of immobilized me in many ways. Frustrated me to no end. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be truly acceptable in my sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Have you noticed Jesus is a party pooper? You know, about the time you're going strong and everything, and he comes along and says, why are you bugging me? What interest is it to me? You know, it's a very good question, and I hope we'll get around to talking about it. I can never tell. Uh, this parable is interesting in many ways. It looks amazingly simple on the surface, but it holds in it an eternal truth. Now, granted, when we see the people coming to Jesus, make them do this, make them do that, they're mostly interested in their own self-importance. In the parable, the rich guy, he was impressed with himself and all of the accomplishments that he had made. So, in all of his grand self-grandizement, I think, uh, he built wonderful storage buildings because the one he had was too small. And he says, I'm set. This year's been good. I don't have to work at all for the rest of my life. And then he gets the word from the Lord. Fool, you ain't going to be around long enough to enjoy that stuff. You missed the boat. The boat wasn't to tie up all the goods and be glorified and that wasn't the boat that you were supposed to get on. 
So you're not going to get to enjoy it. Hmm. Well, that sounds kind of uncomfortable to our American ears. After all, that would be considered good stewardship, would it not? We'll talk about it. And then we come across Solomon. I do like Solomon. And he's very familiar. When, I, when we were reading the, the uh, gospel, and then I, I do things backwards. I read the gospel and then read the others. All of a sudden, it sounds like the parable is applying to Solomon. And, but Solomon knows that that's not the issue of building up for himself. Because he says, I've built magnificent temples. I've got slaves. I've got a wife. I've got concubines when she's not talking to me. You know, that type of thing. And my inheritance or heritage will be down for centuries. And everybody will recognize my wisdom. And then he gets into a spot and he says, but I don't feel any better. I don't feel fulfilled. And then he comes to the conclusion that everything he's done was vanity. Just for him. Just vanity. He's got a problem. And it's a serious problem, but he knows he's got a problem. Well, now let me go on back a little bit further to Job. Some of the same theme, if you will. Job, instead of saying, I have all of these things, he turned around and he's saying, oh, I wish I'd never been born. Oh, I haven't done anything wrong. Why don't you just kill me and get it over with? I, I, I sounded like um, the normal woes that you would find in a melodrama theater. Woe is me. Now those are good questions. Woe is me. And the answer I hope will come. But the question is being, to what end do I have all these things? Solomon says, to what end, if it's all vanity, why? And the farmer, the rich grain farmer, thinks that everything centers in his ability to control the grains, the alcohol, the slaves, and so forth. But they really all are vanity. So the same question John poses. Joke. I've been listening to too many English movies. They get them all messed up. But it's no less an, an, a question or an issue when Noah at Sodom and Gomorrah. To what end, Lord, will you destroy this if I can find 20 people? To what end? And we know the answer there. Couldn't find anybody at home. They're all busy being about themselves. And the world circulated around them. It wasn't about 
inquiring. It was about your life. How does it impact your life? Now, we've read these readings, and you know I always ask, so what? What's in it for me? How does it impact my life? What kind of message is it talking to me? Because you see, I believe that the Bible speaks to today, regardless of where you read from it. Regardless of what you read. And if you don't understand it, don't think it applies the first time, read it another half dozen times. And pretty soon, you'll see, oh, that applies. Makes you very uncomfortable. But I suggest keep reading. Because the more you read, the more you see how this is one big event, the more you're going to be blessed. And Jesus turns to him and he says, you know, the flowers in the field and the birds in the sky, they don't have a place of residence. Neither do I. Now, it's an important thing. Just kind of let that hang back there for a minute. Because I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. I'm going to tell you about Trinity Seminary in Pennsylvania. They began about 40 years ago. Um, they had an AMP building which would be like, I don't want to say an HEB, but a small Walmart. And AMP left town because that was a steel mill town. And the steel went away, so did the town, essentially. And it was proposed before the town that we're going to build a seminary in the old A&P building. And the township was dead set against it. Dead set against it. Because they could see no value in building a school teaching about God. Now here's what's interesting about Trinity Seminary. For most of its life, it has had no endowments. In other words, what they had was what they had. They had to pay the bills with that. And I can remember getting one of their journals one time, I probably have told you. It said that we needed for this year, a total of $47,250.62. Within 30 days of that publishment, they had the $46,200.56. Their whole thing was, if we are of God, then it will continue. How does that bother us? What does that have to say about us? Well, it's a faith statement for one. You got a faith statement that says no matter what this I believe to be true and will not alter it? I don't care who you are. Amen. I've also been watching some near-death events. That's a fascinating thing. I've studied it in the past and worked with it. But I'm just watching it. And it seems in near-death experiences, 
the focus changes after the individuals come back. They're given a choice. And they focus on the values that change. For one thing, they no longer fear death. And what are we told constantly, especially in the table? Death has no hold on us. So rejoice. There's nothing to be feared. I'll get back to that word fear in a little bit. C.S. Lewis, probably the 20th century greatest apologist, uh, and if apologist is a word you don't understand, how about defender? Defender of the faith. Okay. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Great Divorce. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's a small, wee little book. Maybe a couple of hundred pages at most. But I think C.S. Lewis deals with this same issue of choices. The brother that came to Jesus and said, tell him to share his stuff with me. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. It's a choice. In this whole thing, in the reading of C.S.'s, Lewis's great divorce, there seems to be, in the background, a choice to, for them to make a choice after life in this process we've called death for now. And you get to choose. Do you want to be isolated forever? Do you want to be not quite there? Because how many people got on the train that left the station and came back on the train when it returned to the station? It's choices. The man who told Jesus, make him share. So Jesus told him about a choice. I don't think he caught it. I don't think most of us would catch that. that. You're supposed to share. That's a good, right, Christian thing to do. No. The good, right, Christian thing to do is to make the right choice. And if it's a choice, then there won't be that argument of make him share. Because you've already been planning for it. Near-death experiences affirms the choices made. It gives the framework for recentering our focus in a modern terminology. So what end does NDA <coughs> near-death help? How does it focus our values? Is it transfigurative or transformative? Is it fear? Because fear, we know what fear is. We say it all the time. Fear is false emotions appearing real. And the guy that asked Jesus to get in the mix was afraid of losing something. That was his choice. 
I want something please God should be mine so fears are the actual bindings that keep us in a life of slavery forming the walls invisible of ourselves fears that are false Now, answering the question with a question. Jesus always does that. Just irritates the dickens out of me. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it to this guy. He has, answers the question with a question. And what's the question? Make a choice. Decide. Come on, make a decision. You've got before you an opportunity. How are you going to treat that opportunity? Changing the focus of self to otherness is challenging us to make a choice. How we focus our lives is always a choice, resulting in a struggle with ourself or with otherness. God presents us with a choice that is redemptive in nature. To be more redemptive than selfish. What's the point? The point is redemption. It's always been redemptive. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve screwed up, they still had a choice. And the choice was always for redemption, not punishment. And throughout that time, it's always been for redemption. God does not want punishment. Punishment is brought about by ourselves and how we make bad choices. But God's acts are always redemptive. In the midst of Job, which looks horrible, it was still redemptive. Still pulled Job out of the morass into the blessing. So this act of redemption, this act of calm, culminating in the ultimate redemption and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where it culminates. And we go, surely it's God who saves me. This psalmist, surely it is God who saves me. How do I change? How do I regain that focus that allows me to live in blessing and instead of fear? Well, I, can, I have suggestions. You know, reading God's Word, the Bible. Now, usually they always want to tell you where to start. I don't want to tell you where to start. You start where you think God leads you and work backwards and forward from there 
And when you don't know an answer to a question, seek out someone to help you understand what is being said and to understand how that might apply in your life. God doesn't have anything against you being rich. But he does have something to say about you being selfish and self-serving and self-centered to the exclusion of the rest of creation. He does have something to say about that. You may be confronted in there. Being here for the communion. That's how you start knowing what God is telling you to do. The other thing is how we live our lives day to day. You know, I find that I suddenly have to stop giving instructions to those drivers that weren't instructing or further punishment. <laughs> they're, they're not listening to me. So they don't care. I stop making comments and, and getting irritated at the news. Oh, I don't know of anything that irritates me more than CNN or some of the other news places. Yeah. Um, oh, and to stop me from commenting on, I'm going to say it, false teachers of the gospel. Because they get on there and they get their 15 minutes on the news channel and they don't know squat from one end of town to the other. And they talk like they got knowledge. And so full of hot air, you wouldn't even notice there was a grate in front of them if that bad. And Julie always chases me off into the other room when I start making comments, especially when I hear strange things. It's a process of being aware of the log in your eye, not your brother's eye or your sister's eye, but the log in your own eye. Yeah. One of the things I noticed about fear, one of the byproducts of fear is guilt. I think guilt can be a good thing because it can allow for an act of redemption to occur. There's something you did you know you shouldn't have done, but you did anyhow. And the question, which choice you're going to make, you're going to ask for forgiveness? Or are you going to say, oh well, they had it coming? It's always a choice. Are you for God or are you not? You know, back in numbers, who are you going to serve today? Well, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve those manifestations of something or other? We'll call them idols. And fear also fosters the illusion of self-importance. I might lose my importance in the community if I did not fill in the blank, show up every week, if I did not do something. 
if I did not ask for help. I know. He's going to make some comment. I'm just going to leave him alone. You know, it's the best way to handle it. Just leave him alone. Go away. <laughs> oh. This whole thing comes down to very simple. Are you going to serve God? And if you are serving, are you going to serve the idol that you've made with your hands, with your imagination, with your money, with your job, whatever? Are you going to serve that idol? But the point is, make a choice. Life or death? choose life, then you get to be in redeeming acts all the time. If you choose death, there's no redemption. You choose it yourself. Now, end it with a kicker. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord God. All the other idols are just that, false. So you see the importance of this parable. It has nothing to do with inheritance. It all has to do with your choice. Are you serving God or are you fighting Him? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.